0: Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. And those of you who are watching online, whether streaming or um, on demand, great, great, to, uh, great to be with you. So we are in our um, fourth and final series on the book of Romans. We're covering Romans 12 through 16. And we're in the sixth sermon within that series. And uh, so since understanding the Bible and your part in God's story doesn't have to be a mystery, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14, it's on page 1138, we've been on that page for a few weeks in, in the Bibles that we have, uh, you can grab, grab one of those for those of you who are here, page 1138, Romans uh, 14. So we, we say that uh, understanding of the Bible doesn't have to be a mystery, I've said this before, but there is mystery, and uh, we'll, we'll see that today in this passage. Uh, some, of that, some of that mystery, some of that uh, sometimes it's not really clear, and it's hard to understand, and we just have to admit that along the way. So we're going we're to uh, potentially experience a little bit of whiplash today. Uh, I, I said that to somebody last week because we've been kind of focusing in, you know, zeroing in just on just a few verses and looking at them in detail. And today we're covering like a chapter and a half, and, uh, which means we can't even read the whole thing. But what I hope to do is set you up for reading the whole thing, number one, and number two, cover some of the, the major issues that need to be covered because of this, this passage. And so hopefully you'll get some guidance for that. So if you're new to the Bible, I just need to say this uh, because of the nature of this sermon. If you're new to the Bible, uh, you need to know that Romans is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century to a uh, group of house churches in the city of Rome. And so it's not a theology book. It's a book written to real people, which means we have uh, half of a conversation in a sense you know, we've we've got, we're seeing what he wrote to them, but we don't. We're not them. We we don't. He knows things. See, there are people that are in that church, as you're going to see in a couple of weeks. There are all kinds of people in that church that he knows, and they tr- travel a lot uh, on those Roman roads, and and uh, there are a lot of business people that their business has to do with travel and trade and all that sort of thing. And so, and Paul actually has a business that. Deals with people like that. So what, what's happening is he knows things that are happening there, but he doesn't tell us what they are. And so as we're reading, w- there's just some things that we just have to admit we just, we just absolutely don't know. Uh, if that's confusing to you, I just want to encourage you. We have a, an educational experience called the story of God, and the whole idea behind that is in six weeks you get an overview of the whole Bible and how to read it and how to better understand it. And if you'd like to know more about that, put story of God on your connection card and we'll send you some information about that. Okay, we're going to pray and uh, we're going to ask God the Holy Spirit to illuminate his word to us. And this prayer is based on James chapter 1, so please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we look to your word, we come to you asking that your truth would be revealed. By your Holy Spirit, grant us understanding, guide us to the wisdom you so generously give. Grow us and shape us to be all that you have called us to be, and may the knowledge of your truth lead us to faithful obedience as we share your love and your light with the world around us. We continue, Father, to lift up to you um, the situation in Ukraine, the people in Ukraine, uh, the Christians who are doing ministry right now and shining your light in ukraine uh, under great stress and danger and loss of life uh, we pray for peace we pray for leaders all around the world and the decisions that they have to make we pray for those who are grieving we pray for comfort for family there as well as family here who have family there or not here but all over the world who have family there we pray that you would bring them comfort and hope. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, today's passage from chapter 14 all the way into chapter 15 speaks on the one hand to the problems of polarization that are, that's being experienced in churches all over our country and, and in other countries as well, just a polarization that is often uh, built around politics and uh, other related issues to politics. A polarization that kind of mimics the polarization that we have in the rest of our society. Uh, it's a polarization that runs through churches, runs through families. Uh, it's doing great harm to the faith of a lot of people, Christians, a lot of Christians. And, um, and it's not just the polarization itself, the infighting that creates, that's creating a lot of harm for a lot of people. But it's oftentimes what people are saying at each one of the polls. And uh, and so it, it's it's a it's a t- this passage will speak to that and and offer some guidance through through that. On the other hand, this passage opens the door to thinking about what to do when people in a church or the church when people in the church hold to ideas and live in ways that to some degree seem to be incompatible with the gospel and because these ideas or these behaviors are incompatible with the gospel there are times when we just It just doesn't seem right to just agree to disagree. And um, it seems that sometimes the only option is to in some way disunite, in some way part ways. And that that is a matter of integrity. So today's sermon in a nutshell Is this, Paul calls church members to love and accept one another and seek unity, even while holding different opinions. But as we move beyond this passage, we're going to see that while there are no limits to love, there are limits to unity. Now, unity among Christians is vitally important, and um, as we saw last week, we have a debt to love. And that debt to love is a debt that can never, it can never be paid. It extends all the way into eternity. It's a, it's, it's a metaphor that Paul was using, but he's saying love is, is like at the center, at the core of the core of Christianity. But unity has its limits. Let me give you an extreme example. If you want uh, you know, give an extreme example, always go to Nazi Germany, right? <laughs> And so, um, but this this was a reality that Christians faced. So um, there were Christians during, um, in Germany, during the time of Nazi Germany, the Nazis when they were in power, where let's say you grew up in a church and you loved the people of that church and uh, all of a sudden you start hearing Nazi propaganda seeping in to the sermons. And you go to Sunday school, and you hear Nazi propaganda and Nazi ideas coming out of the mouths of people you've gone to church with all your life, and that you've loved, and have helped shape you into the person that you are. And it just seems incompatible with what they shaped you to be, and who they shaped you to be, and and with the Christ that they pointed you towards. And so you begin to raise some concerns and some alarms in that church. And your elders, the people who have shaped you, start pulling you aside and start saying to you, you need to stop bringing this stuff up. You need to quit talking about this because it's divisive. And, um, and at some point, you know, what are you going to do? If that's the direction that the church is going, if that's the direction that the leaders are going, if that's the response they're going to have to you, what are you going to do? This is one of those sermons that, uh, that raises more questions than it answers. Uh, I can't package this sermon nicely and tie it in a bow and present it. It's more like I'm putting a bunch of stuff in a box. It's spilling over. I've tried to wrap it. The wrapping has torn, and here it is because I can't. I can't do any better than that, and uh, so it's messy, and it's uh, it's actually frustrating. It was frustrating for me as I prepared this, and um, so I am inviting you into my frustration. All right, well, we'll have a frustration party together. So let's let's look at this one more time. God, Paul calls church members to love and accept one another, and to seek unity, even while holding differing opinions. But there, while there are no limits to love, in Scripture you'll see very clearly there are limits to unity. So we're going to zoom into this passage, not zoom into the details. Uh, we'll let's zoom into some details, but we'll zoom into this passage, and then we're going to zoom out and see what else the Scripture says on similar issues related to similar things. And we're going to be looking at four... Four buckets, four related issues, all right? And the very first one is the call to accept and love one another even when we disagree, because Paul is making a call for us to love and accept one another even when we disagree. So the Apostle Paul is aware that there are tensions in that church, divisions in that church, two sides on some related issues. And He probably knows exactly what those sides believe, but he hasn't let us in completely on... We can get the general outline, but we can't get the why behind it. It's very, very difficult to know. And the more we read and the more you ask questions, the more complicated it gets. So there's one side. It's really hard to decipher what exactly they believe and why they believe it. All right? Uh, It has something to do with eating meat, with drinking wine, and with keeping of some kind of holy days. All right? Uh, We don't have the details of that. Now, when you're reading this, it's very important to remember, this is a first century letter, so whatever you do, don't read modern concerns, modern issues into why some people were abstaining, for example, from meat and wine within that congregation. You know, It, it had nothing to do with being vegetarian or vegan, uh, being concerned for animals, uh, or the treatment of animals, or um, for, for, for good health. It has nothing to do with any of those kinds of things. Uh, the people who are not drinking, it has nothing to do with Uh, kind of uh, a tradition in a church that is teetotaling and says nobody should drink. It has nothing to do with concerns about alcoholism. It has nothing to do with people saying, you know, well, there's alcoholism that runs in my family and I don't want to play with fire. It has nothing to do with any of those things. Don't read modern ideas into this letter. We don't know a lot of the specifics on that side, but we do know what the other side believed, and it's pretty simple. They had no qualms with eating meat or drinking wine, and they didn't follow whatever this sacred days calendar uh, was. And here's the thing, Paul makes it really clear he's on their side, very, very clear as we're gonna see. He's on the side of those who have no qualms with eating meat, drinking wine, and he doesn't, he doesn't particularly like the idea of keeping these, whatever these sacred days are. But he is trying to help both sides stay united, and love each other, and not judge each other. So we're going to set aside the specifics, because the best we can do, I could give you some historical background as to some of the possibilities, but even if I did that, I would still have to give you probably two to five options that it could be. <laughs> All right, so we're just not going to go there. It, it just doesn't accomplish a whole lot. Um, but we're going to look at setting that aside. What's Paul's advice for the Roman Christians to deal with their differences? Here's a quick overview of some of the things he says. He says, accept one another without quarreling. The one who does whatever must not treat with contempt the one who does not do whatever it is. The one who does not do whatever it is must not judge the one who does do whatever that is. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Stop passing judgment on one another. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you do, you are no longer acting in love. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. It is better not to do whatever, Uh, if that will cause your brother or sister to fall we who are whatever ought to bear with the failings of these others and not to please ourselves we should be building each other up and we should be concerned that with one mind and voice we would glorify God and accept one another then just as Christ accepted you so, in a nutshell, the Apostle Paul is saying, accept and love those with whom you disagree. Don't judge them and be selfless. Don't try to please yourself. All right? Don't take, you know, you've got your position, don't hold on to that position in order or act in ways that show that you're pleasing yourself. He's also saying you can't control other people, you need to seek unity, but you can't control what other people are going to do. Now we saw that back in chapter 12 and verse 18, where it says, "If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone." As far as it depends on you, live at peace. It comes back to that same basic idea in 14:19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Make Every effort. Now, here's one of the clearest things that I'm going to give you today uh, in terms of, you know, you can take this one (laughs) and try to live this one out. Every single one of us needs to examine ourselves. We need to audit our own efforts to edify and live at peace with those with whom we disagree. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. We need to examine our own efforts. We need to audit our own effort. All right. So I'm gonna circle back around to this because I'm just gonna, it's gonna feel like I'm totally undermining everything I've just said for the next few minutes. Uh, Because there's, there's something going on here that just, there's more going on here than meets the eye. And it's really easy to take everything I just said and misapply it to our situations. That, that we're in, and to abuse this passage. This passage gets abused all the time. So, uh, all that said, it gets messy when we look at several other things. Let me give you a few examples of some of the other, uh, other things. All right. So, one of the things is, he says at the very beginning, look at verse 14, verse 1, except The one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. All right, so all the stuff that's being said, all the stuff is disputable, he says. It's all disputable. Whatever these issues are, things that people can disagree on, but it's really hard to see how there's anything disputable about the thing that they're disagreeing on. It's really hard to see it. Paul doesn't leave much room for more than one take on the issue. He, 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 he just doesn't. He's on the side of those who say it's okay to eat meat and to drink wine. And he's not even keeping, uh, he's not keen on keeping the religious calendar. If, if it's the Jewish religious calendar, he's not keen on that. In Colossians, he is very strong about the idea that they should have to do that. So it seems there's more going on here than meets the eye. And I'm not sure if anybody can figure it out. I know nobody can figure it out with a sense of confidence of what's going on. All I know is, is he takes a position. He doesn't... Remember, you just saw the word weak, right? There are people in that congregation who he is calling weak. And he's saying, I disagree with you. You'll see that in just a few moments. So... How is that disputable? I don't know. I just don't know. So, um, secondly, weak and strong. Uh, Paul takes sides in the disagreement. He describes those who abstain and those who celebrate these holy days as weak in faith. All right, so we just saw that in verse 1, except the one whose faith is weak. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. You imagine having a conversation with someone, you're disagreeing and saying something like that. Yeah, we can disagree on this. Your faith is weak. You don't really understand. You know, it's... um, In chapter 15, verse 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. It's pretty strong language. He doesn't even pretend to be neutral. (laughs) Um, And the amazing thing, this is part of my frustration, is I've been studying this passage and a similar passage in 1 Corinthians. I've had to preach the 1 Corinthians passage before, and it's a hair-pulling experience that it seems like no, of course I haven't read everything, but it seems like no one points this out. (laughs) <laughs> this is just not what you do in conversation, you know, that you, you identify the people you disagree with as weak, but then say, well, we're going to get along. We're going to be fine. Okay. So another interesting thing he does, he basically says, these are my convictions. I'm with the strong. But you keep your opinion to yourself, your convictions to yourself. And, and so he, he does that in 1422. Um, where he says, I guess I don't have it here. You can look at it in your Bibles, fourteen twenty-two. So whatever you believe about these things that I've just been talking about and telling you all my convictions, keep between yourselves and God. All right. Um, I don't quite know. I don't quite know what to do with that. Um, again, all I can say is there's more going on here than meets the eye, and we've just not been given. And there's so much of this kind of stuff that you got to go. There's something going on here that we're just we don't have access to because we've only got Paul's letter. And um, and so that's that's all I can say. Here's here's a big big clue that something is going on here that's very different from how most people understand this passage. He talks about stumbling block. Don't be a stumbling block. He don't don't be an obstacle. And those are those are words that could be taken a lot of ways, but it begins to escalate. It talks about being distressed. I don't have it here, but it talks about falling, meaning falling from faith, that the weak are in danger, uh, are vulnerable to falling from their faith. Uh, It talks about their faith being destroyed, really, really strong language. So, there's this escalation. Look at verse 15, uh, for, for example, of chapter uh, 14, 15, 14. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you, you're okay eating meat, and you're eating meat, and your brother or sister is distressed, you are no longer acting in love. Do, you not, do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. We're not talking about that that other person is just going to look and say, that's not right. There's something going on here that actually there's like a destruction of their faith that can take place. So what's going on? No one knows. Best we can do is guess. All right, so there's the mystery, okay? Here's the the third bucket misunderstandings of this passage, because this is for, um, there are just some things that this passage is used in certain ways that it should not be used because it just doesn't say that, because there are some things that we can know about this passage. Here's, here's something we can know. This is not about offending someone. This passage is not about offending. This passage and some, this First Corinthians is the same thing. It's often used to say we shouldn't do anything to offend our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, causing offense to your brothers and sisters in Christ uh, can be a sin, you know, to, to, uh, under certain circumstances. But there's a lot of things that you just can't help but offend some people. Because everybody's got different ideas about different things, right? And people get offended easily, especially in our day. This is not about not offending your brothers and sisters in Christ. So, for example, it's regularly taught in many churches that if your brother or sister in Christ doesn't drink alcohol, for example, for religious reasons, you shouldn't either because you might offend them. And then they cite this passage or the 1 Corinthians passage to support that. But Paul's concern here and in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians he says, they'll fall into idolatry. So, there's more going on. Than meets the eye. And, and we don't even know if what's going on here is the same as 1 Corinthians. It'd be nice to just say, "Oh, well, I can tell you a lot more about that situation, but we don't know if that's what it is. So, um, it's not about offending. It's, about, it's not about people who have scruples, who have standards that they have set for themselves, extra biblical standards, not biblical, extra biblical standards, and they've set it up for themselves. It's about people who are weak in faith, Falling away from their faith, their faith being destroyed. Um, It's not about offense. Number two, clarity. This is not about keeping the peace by supporting the status quo or giving in to the lowest common denominator. It's treated that way a lot of times, but it is not. We can know that. That's how it's misused. So I was at Jerry's meeting with someone this last week, this last week or the week before. And sitting, we were downstairs in the eating area, and sitting down at the other end were two uh, women who were wearing head coverings. They weren't Muslim. They, were, they came from a Christian group who believes that women in public should be wearing head coverings. Now, if this were, if this were a passage as it is often treated, that is, let's go to the lowest common denominator. What, hap- what happen is if women who believed that women should wear head coverings in public came to our church, if it was the lowest common denominator, then all the women of our church, in order not to offend them, right, should wear head coverings. But somehow that doesn't come into our discussions. It doesn't, you know... Some of you who have been in the church for a long time, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It just doesn't, especially Bible-based churches like ours. Um, So, uh, Paul is not, by any stretch of the imagination, I've just shown you, supporting the abstainers. He's not supporting them. He subverts their viewpoint, even just by calling it weak. And he gives his opinion on the matter. He's He's obviously trying to help them see that their position is weak in faith. At the same time, he's giving them room to grow. It's part of the beauty of this passage. So here's another pr- principle you can take with you. He publicly opposes their position and subverts it, but he gives them room to grow without being lambasted and judged for their immaturity. Okay, saying, look, give them room to grow. Don't flaunt your freedom. Don't run them into the ground in their faith. How, why it would, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it's not just offending them. Okay, it's, something, it's gotta be something more than that. So we've seen so far in these three buckets that Paul calls us to love and accept and not to judge one another We've also seen that there's more going on here than meets the eye, but we're not sure what it is. The best we can do is guess. Um, all, and all that being said, uh, uh, there are some difficulties with this passage to really understand what's going on. And that therefore causes some difficulties in applying it in our own situation. And, um, uh, and so we've, we've got to kind of walk through this very very carefully Um, so one last issue because this opens up the question of the limit what I think are the limits of unity there are limits to unity so if you read Paul's other letters one of the things that you see is that Paul is very willing to separate from other Christians um, over certain issues and as you start seeing the kinds of issues he's willing to separate over you can begin to develop a theology of this, and, um, and even then, it's still where those lines are very, very difficult to determine. Sometimes not difficult to determine, very, very clear, but there's this in-between areas that are sometimes difficult to determine. So, for example, when he calls um, these people weak in faith, um, or, or when people who are doing the kinds of things that he calls weakened faith when those people have power and they can impose their convictions on other people paul transforms from a let's all get along to a mama bear protecting her cubs He, he does and if you doubt what i'm saying maybe it's been a while maybe you've never read it read paul's letter to the galatians and see what I mean. I mean, in that letter, because Peter didn't act consistently with the gospel, he recounts a confrontation that he had with him. When people with extra biblical rules came into town, the apostle Peter started to follow their rules and excluded a bunch of people. And they were not biblical rules, not gospel rules. And Paul, in his letter, says, "I confronted him to his face, the apostle Peter." Okay, and if 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 that's not enough, he now put it in a letter that has survived to today. (laughs) All right, so everybody knows the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter had a major confrontation, and the apostle Paul is absolutely certain he was right and that Peter was wrong, and since his book made it into scripture, his letter. Paul was right and Peter was wrong. So uh, Jesus is the same way. When the religious leaders bring their extra biblical rules into play and it leaves, especially for Jesus, it leaves a bunch of people out. Um, it conflicts with the, wor- with the work of the gospel. Jesus becomes a mama bear with cubs. And the Cubs, in this case, are the outcasts. The people are excluded because they can't keep, they're not, quite literally, they're not middle-class enough to be able to even keep the rules that the Pharisees have and the scribes and the rabbis. In their daily life, they just can't keep all their rules and, and survive. So here's another principle that you can take away from this. Give the immature room to grow but don't give in to people who should know better. I mean, it's, it's consistent in Scripture. Paul, Jesus, he doesn't give in to people who should know better. Um, we could get in deep into the weeds of church politics on this one, uh, but I'm just going to kind of leave it there. Um, I do want to offer some real-life examples of people who have come to a point where they have to go, will I stay or will I go? Will I stay or will I go? What am I going to do? And there are no, I'm not giving you an answer. I don't, I don't, it's, I don't think there is an answer. All right. So one is a friend who uh, shared with me, it's very distressing to him. And he shared to me his experience when he went back home. This is early on in COVID, months into it. And he went back home and he went to church with his parents. And this is when most churches, not all churches, most churches were asking people to wear Masks, and he was like the only person wearing a mask there. And um, and not only was he the only person wearing a mask there, there was a philosophy that to wear a mask was wrong. And it was so bad, he said, that it got to the benediction. So benediction is where you bless. We do this every week. You you pray a blessing, and you call. We call ourselves to go and be a blessing to the world, to carry that blessing to the world. And so in the benediction, it went something like this. Let us go without fear, uh, wearing masks, (laughs) and let us go forward uh, trusting God to keep us safe. Now he's like, you know, I love these people. I grew up with these people. These, These people shaped who I am and I don't know what's happened there, but I don't don't think I can go back. What should I do? (laughs) I can't tell you what to do. You know, so we, you know, we kind of, we talked through it. I commended him that he loves those people. I mean, that's that's something clearly from this passage, love. He loves those people. He didn't like, I hate these people now, and, you know, I'm going to go picket their church and try to make their life miserable. He's He loves them, but he doesn't know if he can go back into that kind of environment. Um, Ethicist Russell Moore, you've heard me quote him many times. He uh, was a leader within his denomination and um, ran one of the arms of his denomination. And for years, he worked to try to get his denomination to thoroughly and transparently investigate sexual abuse cases. There was all of a sudden this rash of stuff that came out within his denomination. And he felt that there was a lot of cover-up, a lot of keeping stuff quiet, a lot of minimizing what happened. And he recently decided to leave his denomination, like within the last year or so. And it made a huge splash in certain circles. but the, the thing, I mean, I, I don't know Russell Moore personally. I don't know, you know, I never had a conversation with him or anything or know him as a friend. But in his public persona, at least, he's never hateful about it. He's not mean about it. People have thrown darts at him and said horrible things about him, and he has not returned the favor. He's acted in love and integrity. And again, I'm not saying he should have left. I don't know. I don't think there is an answer, uh, because there's people that are still doing what Russell Moore was doing there who have not left, and they're still trying to to do that, and they're having some wins. So it's not, he had to come to a decision himself. He had to discern for himself. Jamar Tisby, historian Jamar Tisby, he worked for um, one of the seminaries of his denomination. It was, I think, in Mississippi. His primary job was to attract more minorities to the school because it was a predominantly black city, but the school was like overwhelmingly white. And that's what he did for years. And then stuff began happening, Trayvon Martin, all these kinds of things, and he was concerned with how his white brothers and sisters were talking about these kinds of things. And he wanted conversation, and he started raising concerns, and his elders, his superiors came to him, his story, came to him and said, you need to stop talking about that, it's divisive. And eventually he came to the decision that he needed to leave his denomination, leave that school, and move on to other things, and he has. Now, I know Russell Moore, my friend, Jamar Tisby, anybody who's on the inside of any of these could say that you just simplified something that's much more complex. I I know that. I know I've simplified something that's much more complex. Uh, But just take it at face value. If what they're saying were true, you can see how there comes a point where sometimes there are limits to unity. Sometimes where you have to say, I've got to walk away from this. I've got to walk away from this group of people. And there are ways to do it, and there are ways not to do it. Unity has its limits. It did in the New Testament. It does today. So I want to circle back around to where I started. Uh, and, and uh, like I said, that could be forgotten given everything I've just said. So we're called to make every effort to promote peace, every effort to promote peace. We have to audit, we have to examine our own effort, and we have to ask ourselves, have I made every effort possible to promote peace? Um, by the way, I wanted to say this, it's not in my notes, but remember back when we were in Romans 12, 1 and 2? We spent two weeks on two verses. <laughs> um... And at the very end, Paul is talking about don't be conformed to the pattern of this world; be transformed by the renewing of your mind. With what result? So that you may know what is right. So that you may know what is right. I think a lot of Christians don't quite get that last part there. It's like so. It's clear what's right. Just read the Bible. We got the Ten Commandments. We got the rules. They're all very clearly stated there. You know, just follow the rules why do we need discernment? Why do we need a renewed mind to know what's right? It's because of things like this. There aren't, you cannot, just, just understand how law works, all law. You cannot come up with enough rules. That's why we have courts. <laughs> you cannot come up with enough rules to cover every situation. And what Paul is saying is life is filled with moments of having to discern in a situation, sometimes between Two rights, sometimes between two gray areas. One might be wrong, one might be right. Sometimes Sometimes we have to decide. I can show you places in the Bible where we have to decide to do the wrong thing because it's better than the other wrong thing. That's how complicated life is. The world that we have made, all right? We have made this world, and sometimes it actually comes down to that. So we're called to make every effort to audit our own behavior. Uh, But I wanna leave you with a couple of things that Paul said to his protege in what is considered to be his last letter. So his last letter in the New Testament is Titus, but it is thought, it's actually ordered by length. Um, and so. But it's thought that 2 Timothy is actually his last letter. So he's writing to his protege, Timothy. And uh, on the one hand, He says this about people in the church. I'm not going to read you everything that he says, but it's oftentimes we think, oh, that's the people in the world. No, he's talking about people in the church. And he says this in chapter 3. He says, these people that do all these things have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Okay. They seem in some ways to be Christians, but they deny its power. He says have nothing to do with such people. Okay. So there's a clear... There are times that unity has its, its, and I can give you literally a dozen examples like this where Paul does this, all right? Right before that, this is what he says. And the Lord's servant, speaking to a leader like Timothy, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, in that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive into his will. This passage oozes with judgment. He's making judgments and with compassion. It's like, you realize these people are trapped. Do everything you can. Be gentle with them. Okay, this goes exactly with what he's saying in Romans 14, is that we should make every effort, go forward with hope, don't write people off, but go forward with hope and love and care. Do that. Unfortunately, between this paragraph and the very next paragraph, he doesn't tell us exactly when the line has been crossed, and have nothing do, more to do with them. Now, we can, we can make some guesses, but remember, these are not theology books. We write theology books. We step back, and we should, and we look at this, and we say, okay, let's give some guidance, but you can't, we cannot, like, put a stake in the sand and say, this is when, and this is when not, because we're not given that. We can just discern and walk through these things and do the best that we can while loving and gently encouraging one another. Three quick takeaways. Make every effort for peace and unity. Make every effort for peace and unity. Love and accept those with whom you disagree until you can't simply disagree. That's the best I can do. But continue to love those with whom you disagree and can't just disagree with anymore. Continue to love them. Second takeaway, hold on to hope of repentance. Don't write people off until <laughs> chapter three. You have to write people off. And even then, the Apostle Paul, you know that from his other letters, he doesn't write them off. He just have nothing to do with them. Let's hope that they circle back around. They see their, their ways. So hold out hope of repentance. So make every effort. Hold hope of repentance. Number three, don't use this passage as a weapon. Don't use Romans 14 as a weapon to support whatever it is that you want to do. <laughs> um, treat this passage with proper humility. Treat it with proper humility because we really don't know a lot. Okay, all I'm saying is this. We, there are tensions in the Christian life. Every time we try to resolve, re- resolve some of these tensions that are meant to be there, not because God wants us to live in tension, but because we live in such a broken world that the only way to get rid of the tension would be for Christ to return, and we should be hoping for that, but in his timing and in his sovereignty, he hasn't returned, so we live now in tension. We try to resolve the tensions. It creates all kinds of problems. There are no clear-cut rules on this. It takes lots of discernment. There's no nice wrapping that goes on this. There's no tidy bow. Real life tension. I'll leave you with one thing. People, especially we've got a lot of new people at Five Oaks, and people have asked me, a lot of people, Pizza with the Pastor, um, other contexts, they said, how come Five Oaks hasn't blown up with COVID? How come the congregation hasn't just gone berserk in a bunch of different directions? And I don't have the answer to that. I mean, part of the reality is it still can. A little gallows humor you can laugh. We still have time to blow up. We still have time to like get crazy with each other, even about COVID or whatever the next thing around the corner is, we still have time. Um, but I think, I think the basic answer is, and it's, it's along the lines of what I've said, I don't think I would have used these words before or have used these words, but I think we as a congregation have humbly lived within the tensions created by all our different opinions (laughs) i saw it on our staff i mean we would have people you know whether it be about mass or whatever we have one one person way over here we have one person way over here and somehow we humbly came together that's my opinion (laughs) you know um i got my sources you've got your sources I've got my scientist, you have your scientist, <laughs> right? But we just went humbly forward into the tension and, um, and through the tension. And I pray that, that we continue. Whatever the next thing is around the corner, <laughs> I pray that that's how we continue uh, to live and to act. So that's how we should respond to the hearing of God's word. But we begin our response here. And we're reminded again why it is that we are called to unity and why it's worth fighting for it and why it's worth humbling ourselves and disagreeing and loving each other. And even when we separate, we, we should act loving towards each other. Um, it's because Jesus took this mess and he can say, when you get it together, I will love you and I will care for you. No, he went to the cross for us so that we could be united. His body was broken so that our sins could be forgiven. He took the bread on the night of his betrayal and he said, this is my body broken for you. Let's eat together. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Your blood doesn't need to be shed for your sins. Mine are shed for you. Father, we thank you that you are a God of compassion towards us, that as your word says, accept one another as God has accepted you. You've accepted us with all of our um, sins, all of our warts, all of the unloveliness and ugliness of our lives. You've embraced us and you've loved us. Help us to always keep that in the forefront and hold on to that for as long as we can with each other. To love each other, to care, and to embrace for as long as we can, for as much as we can. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.